0: Liz Collin here. Welcome to Liz Collin Reports, a place for truth and meaningful Minnesota conversations. On the podcast today, a conversation with the new GOP-endorsed candidate for governor, Dr. Scott Jensen, is here with me today. Congratulations. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, Liz, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: We are just a few days out of that endorsement, but talk about unity to begin with have you reached out to your opponents at this point after that wild Saturday we saw unfold in Rochester, and what did you tell
1: them? i reached out to each one of my challengers, if you will, and including Mike Marty, who dropped out of the race a little while ago, and then uh, Senator Benson as well. had had conversations with a good share of them, but not all of them. My challengers, without question, each one of them brought gifts and skills to the table that made me better. and. I think anybody who saw the convention would say it was certainly not clear how things would end. So I, I'm indebted to my challengers to help make me stronger. Iron sharpens iron. And I feel like I could go through each one of them and identify their strengths, but that may be longer than we need. But I did do a video last night thanking all of my challengers and identifying that what they've done has helped Minnesota And I hope that these folks keep their voice in the game because Minnesota conservatives need that. I'm pretty impressed with the group of people that did run for governor. There was a lot of really thoughtful, well-articulated viewpoints given and I think a lot of really strong personalities.
0: Important to get all of those people on the same page moving forward.
1: It really is. I think that arguably this could be said to be our last best chance for a decade or two. We really have it in our potential possession. So let's not grasp, defeat from the jaws of victory.
0: And a few things have happened since that I want to talk about. First of all, uh, Sheriff Rich Stanek has said that he plans at this point to, to primary in August. Are you worried about him as an opponent uh, come later this summer with his extensive experience in law enforcement? Uh, is that something that concerns you?
1: Not particularly. I mean, Rich uh, and I have prayed for him and called him and told him, I hope he recovers completely from the auto accident, but he didn't get into the race until February. And it's only May, and I think he he missed uh, six, eight weeks of the race. So, and I think, you know, he basically said, I'm not going to participate in the convention as well. So it's a little confusing to me because we're really striving for unity so that we can do one thing, and that's win. Because if we don't win, we're just noise. And we've done this before. So, I'm still thinking that uh, Rich will probably say, "Okay, uh, I, I explored it, but uh, I'm going to pass on this because I want to be a part of that unity movement so we can win." But if he uh, makes a decision in the other direction, uh, we'll just take it as it comes. I've learned a long time ago: God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change.
0: And Sheriff Stanek has made public safety kind of his number one priority in the campaign. Some would say. It's been COVID for you, but do you plan to adapt more of a public safety message moving forward? And who are you going to uh, for that advice?
1: I don't think there's any question. COVID is going to be far less prominent as we move towards November's election. I think what we need to keep front and center from COVID is these broad, overreaching policies of government. Lockdowns, masks, uh, vaccine passports. Shutting down businesses, denying people the right to take care of their families, locking nursing homes in after having pipelined active disease. These kinds of policies have to be addressed so that they don't happen again. But in terms of going into the November election, I think that public safety is huge. And I think we have to start articulating how do we actually do it? So we're starting to put together a small work group so that we can create a white paper on, okay, these five steps would be primary steps and then underneath each one of those primary steps would be another couple steps that actually are actionable implementable specific notions that will make things better for instance we know that we need to have more cops in the street no question but we also need the governor to use the bully pulpit to elevate the work that police do people are impressed with brain surgeons Well, a brain surgeon goes into a brain surgery case not knowing exactly what she or he is going to encounter. Police are no different. They start a shift. They don't know if it's gonna be an easy casual shift or if there's gonna be a homicide. They don't know if they're going to themselves be attacked. We need to respect the work police do. And it's gotta be coming from the governor. It's gotta come from parents. It's gotta come from corporate America. We need to be very clear on this. And we need to use incarceration as a tool to keep repeat felons off the streets. And we need to understand that this is not the time to have sentencing commissions decide to relax Uh, The penalties and I think we need to say we clearly have a problem with prosecuting attorneys with liberal judges We need to cover the whole gamut, but it's just words if we don't have a plan And so we're gonna put together a a workforce and we're gonna get that ready because come day one uh, We're gonna get working on it. And I think the other issue we need to have the dollars follow the kids I think if we learn one thing the way we're doing K through 12 public education now, it just isn't working And there's no reason to, if you will, marginalize the role of the parent and maximize the role of the government. And that's what we've done. And, we, you know, whatever you incentivize, you get more of. So we're getting this indoctrination. This is nuts. And then I think the last thing that really is high on the list is if we can't get Minnesotans and Americans to feel good about the election process, we've lost one of the pillars of our democracy. So we got to quit calling people that have concerns about the election conspiracy theorists or whack jobs. And we have to say, listen. In 2000, the Democrats weren't so, weren't so crazy about the hanging chads. In 2004, they weren't happy. In 2016, they weren't happy. In 2020, Republicans weren't happy. Let's just stop the bickering. Let's make it easy to vote, hard to cheat. And if you do cheat, Plan on spending some time in jail. Let's just do it. 46 out of 47 countries in Europe do. Photo ID. You want to vote? Show your photo ID. If you don't have one, we'll buy one for you.
0: You have been very vocal on that voter ID issue, going as far as saying you would like Secretary of State Steve Simon to be jailed, and your critics have said the the, the evidence uh, isn't, isn't there. Respond to that.
1: Well, I think that the Star Tribune was the one who did the first article, and if you go back to the original article, what I said was, I think Steve Simon has gotten away with too much for too long, under Keith Ellison. And I said, maybe he should look at how he looks in stripes. What I was saying is, if I'm elected governor, there will be accountability. And if I find through FOIA requests for information, email streams, if we find that he knowingly violated his oath of office, without question, there will be accountability. He was slapped down by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals when he had unilaterally decided to go around the legislature after he had worked with the legislature in the session of 2020. There was a compromise bill put together by Senator Mary Kiffmeyer, Steve Simon. We voted it through. End of story, right? Nope. As soon as we adjourned, he went to the courts in front of a liberal judge to get more. People should be offended by that. He made rules unilaterally when the Minnesota Constitution makes it very clear that our elections and the processes by which they take place are to be determined by the legislature. He knows that. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows that he's got Walls and he's got Ellison right there covering his back. And I'm just saying, no, you don't get to do this. You know what you did. The Eighth Circuit Court of of Appeals said you don't get to do this. And I'm going to try to make sure that he did not violate his oath of office. If he didn't violate his oath of office, he he doesn't have anything to worry about.
0: You brought up Keith Ellison there. The race for attorney general uh, is one that people are watching closely after it's been um, since 19, the 1960s that a Republican ha- has has been in that office. Will you involve yourself um, with the ongoing saga now with Jim Schultz and, and Doug Wardlow has said that he will not concede um, after the convention this weekend? Will you campaign as a team and uh, you're making that push to for Wardlow to drop out?
1: The endorsed candidates coming from the Minnesota GOP convention have all been endorsed, obviously. And the statewide candidates, Jim Schultz, Kim Crockett, Ryan Wilson, myself, Matt Burke, we definitely will be campaigning some together. In terms of any formal actions coming from our campaign, as much as is possible— we will be trying to avoid anything until after the primaries. We don't want to insinuate ourselves in a place where we don't need to be or perhaps shouldn't be. What we will be doing is campaigning together because we are all endorsed and we feel that as a team, we'd like to get out there and show Minnesotans, this is a team that we're putting forward and we'd really like you to pay attention because Liz, I think the best the best campaign season is the one that's transparent and gives the voters a real chance to find out What's the difference between this team of people and this team of people?
0: You at the convention this weekend also said you would commute former Brooklyn Center officer Kim Potter's sentence. How would you do that, and why is that something that's important to you?
1: Two things about that. One is commute is not the same as pardon. Commute is to revise. And I think that I can be quite persuasive. And I know I don't have the unilateral power as governor to do that unilaterally, uh, but you basically have three people that have to decide to do that. And I think that if we ask ourselves the question, is justice being served by locking her up, or are the streets made more safe by locking her up? I think it would make far more sense to have her, if you will, out of incarceration, perhaps serving her sentence as a champion or an advocate for disadvantaged communities. Maybe she can help us figure out how can we get more police coming from some of these minority communities. We need to ask ourselves, what exactly is Kim Potter doing in jail? She has confessed that she made a terrible mistake. She feels horrible about it. I'm not asking for some undue measure of mercy. I'm just saying, my stars, we make mistakes. When we go to surgery, sometimes we kill patients. We don't intend to. Oftentimes, when we're done with a surgery, if it hasn't gone well, we do the best we can to sew people up, put them back together, put them in the ICU, do everything we can to support them, hope and pray that they make it through. And if they don't, you know what? It's not on the front page of the Star Tribune.
0: And on that note, um, something I have to ask you about kind of on a personal level, but you invited John Thompson uh, on stage in December at a, at a campaign event. No, it was... I did not. Okay. Okay. Well no it's a, it I kind of want you to talk about it because mm-hmm. but you, I
1: didn't, uh, this I'm is the guy gonna, who
0: threatened to burn down my neighborhood mm-hmm. and and beat me yep. in in Piñata effigy and um and has also obviously had some run-ins with the police as well but is that is is that something that that you regret and
1: No this about? is so silly. I mean I was just badgered. I was told that I didn't support Donald Trump because I welcomed Dr. Joe Jorgensen to Victoria. I was the senator from Carver County and Dr. Joe Jorgensen the candidate for the Libertarian Party was coming to the Victoria Lions Park. And my son is a Victoria Lions and helped build the park. And they said, would you come in, welcome her to Carver County. I said, welcome her to God's country in a moment. That's part of what a statesman does. So I never met Joe Jurgensen. I went over there. 75 people were there. My wife and I went over there. We said hi to Joe Jurgensen, learned that I think that she's from Ohio or something. I got up on a little, some sort of a soapbox. And I said, Welcome, Dr. Joe Jurgensen, to Victoria, Minnesota. Carver County is truly God's country. We have this and we have this. Thank you for throwing your hat in the ring. And that was it. Now, that was supposedly supporting her. That was silly. Same thing happened with John Thompson. A group of black and Somali business people asked if they could do a meet and greet with us on Lake Street. They asked in late October. We said, sure, we'll come down. So the date was set, I think it was early December, Thursday afternoon, two o'clock or something. And so we had it on the calendar, and the day before I was supposed to go down there, my wife and I were going to go down, go down there and walk Lake Street and have pizza and all that kind of jazz. Uh, someone called, I guess my campaign manager called me and said, Scott, um, this group of people have taken the liberty of going ahead and inviting area legislators. Uh, what do you think of that? I said, well, it's their gig, not mine. And they said, well, should we cancel and not go? And I said, well, why would we do that? Well, should we, it's possible John Thompson will show up. Should we disinvite him? I said, well, we never invited him. I said, if they invite him, it's their gig. We'll just play it the way it comes. So next day, there's a dozen people. They're sitting in chairs sort of in a haphazard fashion. There's no stage. This is an unfinished uh, second floor construction zone with uh, naked insulation. And we're standing on plywood floors. And there's a little coffee maker over to the side. And I'm talking with these business people. And 15, 20 minutes into it, John Thompson walks in, goes and grabs a chair and sits down. He listens, and for about 15, 20 minutes, I'm answering questions. We're having a conversation with these business folks. And the question comes to me, why isn't Minneapolis City Council being more aggressive about taking some of the land that they have and building Section 8 apartments? And I didn't know. So I saw John Thompson. I said, Representative Thompson, do you want to comment on that? And he stood up and he talked about what he thought might be holding things up and this and that. And then he sat back down, and then I I talked I bought a couple more issues and there was another question I think that came up that he would have more information than I would have. It He answered that. That was it. This was not my gig. This is wrong. When we do this kind of stuff, what we're doing is fueling this lack of discussion. We have got to have these hard discussions. And if the legislature did not see fit to expel John Thompson, then he is a sitting representative. Granted, he has made some horrendous decisions, but the bottom line is he represents a group of people that deserve to have a voice. And I need to listen to the voices, all of them.
0: Well, I will say that he's never reached out to have a discussion with me. He went about his messaging a, a little bit differently. But I did want to ask about you and yeah. ask that uh, from you, and I appreciate the you know, the chance to to give the backstory because that obviously helps. Uh, Just breaking kind of this week, we have um, some news about uh, Governor Tim Walz getting $4.5 million in one donation alone from the Democratic Governors Association. His coffers now are more than $8 million in the race. I think at last check you had uh, more than $700,000 back in March. But People, uh, I'm just wondering, is it even possible to compete when you're talking about you know, that much money and so much outside money at play in this, in this race, too? Dr. Is President. it
1: possible? Absolutely. We're going to take the fight to Tim Walls. He will have five to ten times more money than we have. But I've seen the way Democrats spend money, and I can do more with one dollar than they will with ten. We will be extremely fiscally responsible. We've already demonstrated that. We have a, tr- a tremendous, if you will, uh, fund balance in our account. I know that Tim Walls will have no money, no problems raising money, uh, but I think they will squander it. And I think there are going to be conservatives and variety of organizations coming forth saying, we are gonna get the message out. Tim Walls cannot buy his way out of the fact that when the chips were on the line, Nobody could find him. 72 hours, Minneapolis burned, which was the triggering event for cities around the nation to burn. Tim Walls froze. And then when he finally responded to the fact that he hadn't put the National Guard up, he threw Jacob Fry under the bus. He called the National Guard a bunch of 19-year-old cooks. And he never bothered to tell us that he'd been a member of that organization right up until he learned that his unit was going to be deployed to the Mideast. And that was when he decided to retire from the National Guard. People need to know that, and they're going to know that. And I don't know how many millions of dollars he's going to have to spend to try to hide that, because I don't think he's going to be able to hide that.
0: On the issue back to to COVID, as a lot of people are ready to put that in their rearview mirror, and that being kind of a cornerstone of your campaign months ago. But we're seeing case numbers climb again, and especially in states, it seems, that have been highly vaccinated. Do you think that there is a connection there?
1: I think it's interesting that so many of the things I was just eviscerated for are coming true. I said lockdowns don't produce what you say they do and they don't. And I said this is going to be a problem for kids and we're seeing developmental delays particularly in speech delays. I said that masks do not protect you from getting the disease and they don't. They might provide some filtration. I said the vaccine program is brand new. We've never used this mRNA technology for this and there could be problems and we're seeing problems. It does not stop infectiousness. It does not stop transmission. I said the PCR testing was a problem because we were cycle thresholding at 45 and it's come out. And so what they do, they dropped it down to 26 or 28 over and over again. I've been accused of being spreading misinformation and yet everything is sort of coming true. So as we move forward, and we look at where we're at right now. You look at cases, you look at hospitalizations, just as you said, Liz. Arguably, we have more of a problem today with COVID than we did a year ago. And yet we're doing nothing about it. And do you know why? We are treating COVID right now for what it is. It's a respiratory RNA virus outbreak. People die from it. Most people don't. People get hospitalized with it. Most people don't. That's exactly what we deal with every year with influenza. And people have had it. they said, you know what? Because of the policy responses that we've given to this, we have absolutely fractured our supply chains. We're having people, parents, running around looking for baby formula. We have 75 to $100 coming out of our pocket to fill our gas tank. People are saying, we need to reprioritize exactly what we're doing here. I mean, we've got far-left people out there that are saying, oh, this is the problem, this is the problem. People need to live. People need to have a complete electric grid. We're not having responsible conversations about these things. We are just virtue signaling, throwing mud on the wall, sees what sticks, playing a game of whack-a-mole, call it whatever you want. The bottom line is it's gonna be the people that give us common sense and tell us what we need to do going forward. And thank heavens for the people rising up because quite frankly, we're not getting it from our elected officials.
0: Some Minnesota Republicans have criticized you for co-sponsoring a gun bill that required universal background checks for gun sales, made it illegal for a gun owner to not report to police if that gun is stolen from them. But this was an issue that was also brought up this past weekend and and something you apologized for. But is there a concern at all that that you could be labeled a flip-flopper on some issues?
1: I think I've been labeled so many things. I don't know why you Even didn't. Even called worse? I'm, oh, quack, failed senator, <laughs> anti-vaxxer. I mean, the list doesn't stop. A lousy putter in my golf game. I mean, the whole thing. Now, I think that there were two bills, and one of them was now to increase the penalties for straw man purchasing, which was that they had a situation in uh, St. Paul, I think, where there was this one woman, eight or nine times she bought a gun, gave it to her boyfriend, and he was uh, prohibited. And, and every time they'd go to her, and she'd say, oh, it was stolen. What that law says is, If you know it's stolen, you gotta report it in 14 days. If you don't know your gun's stolen, you just haven't looked for it and you don't know where it is, that doesn't mean it was stolen. I mean, people have guns in their attic, they might have it in their backyard, they might have it in their cabin. They didn't do anything there. And it wasn't a universal background check. It was looking at the background check system and expanding it. And I said, you know, I'm willing to talk about that if we can have Stand Your Ground added in. And I challenged the Democratic author, work with the NRA, work with the Minnesota gun owners. If we could put something together, I said, we might have something. We had a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a Republican Lieutenant Governor. That was the time we should have gotten Stan, gone across. It was a It was an amateur move on my part. I was a rookie. I thought that I could drive a conversation and get something good done for Second Amendment rights. I was wrong. And um, after about six weeks, I took my name off the bill. And at the convention, I just basically came clean and said, hey, listen, folks, I never did this to undercut your confidence in me protecting your Second Amendment rights. That's on me. I'm sorry. That won't happen again. It was a rookie mistake, and I understand it, I get it, and I think people were receptive to that because, quite frankly, for a year I've been saying, we need to pass Stand Your Ground, Constitutional Carry, and Castle Doctrine, and I think we need to do that. I've been a hunter for 30, 40 years, I've got a dozen guns at home, I've been a member of the NRA, my wife and I both have our permit to carry.
0: How do you think this predicted red wave uh, that is playing out across the country will, will play a part in Minnesota? Um you know, again, the last time a governor was elected here as a Republican was 2006. It's, it, it's been a while.
1: It's really an enticing question because we absolutely have the chance to shoot ourselves in the foot, no pun intended, and, and do something foolish and lose. We have got to realize that Tim Walls is a good campaigner. He's affable. He puts on a good show. He knows the issues. We need to have someone go against him that will go nose to nose with him on COVID, on the shutdowns, on the riots, on his policies, on school choice, on CRT. And I think I'm the person that can do that. I can debate well. I'm quick on my feet. I can inject some humor and I will be relentless. And we need to go at him hard and we all need to bring the fight to him. Because if we don't, if we end up being fighting amidst ourselves, we'll lose. And we're all going to sit there in December saying, oh, my stars, this is really bad. Let's not not let that happen. Let's take it to them. Let's unify. Let's go win.
0: And on that note, it's hard to win a statewide race without winning some independents. What's your plan to, to reach out to them?
1: I think the path is clear. If you want to win, Republicans will not elect a Republican governor. There aren't enough of them. You have to get three groups. You have to get women across Minnesota. And frankly, the Republican Party has not done well in that demographic. We need to do a better job of respectfully elevating those items of concern that women have. Do not shush them, elevate them, talk about them. Second group is we need to go to the minorities and say, what matters to you? And when when I ask them what matters to me, they say, well, I wanna be able to honor my faith. I want freedom, I want less government. Uh, I want to have uh, family protected. I wanna protect the unborn. I want to have a business. I want to dream dreams and go pursue them. Those are the same things you and I want. When we tell the minorities, we are working for the same thing. And when we ask minorities, is your life better today than it was three years ago? Did you come to this country or did your ancestors come to this country so they could end up on an entitlement program generation after generation? They did not. And the third group we need to do is we need to humble ourselves as Republicans and go to the Gen Z's and the the millennials and say, listen. We do not want to talk down to you. We need you at the table. We need to appoint a 28-year-old commissioner of a department in Minnesota. We need to stop telling them that they have to wait until they're old and stodgy before they can really have a place at the table. If we do those three things, we can absolutely ignite an energy in the conservative movement and we can win. But if we don't do those things, we will lose.
0: You'll find those kids on TikTok. Good work. You guys are doing good work there already.
1: Well, that's the, uh, the reason the other night I was on TikTok doing some moves. The kids like Which I'm moves. I'm not
0: sure if people want to see. I'm,
1: I'm not sure gonna be, either. I'm
0: just going to be honest.
1: But I, I did get 142 uh, watches. Oh,
0: so. okay. That, that is that is big. But, uh, but Sleepy Eye, Minnesota native, um, I think it's interesting for, for folks to know on a personal level, too, you're still balancing working as a family physician, too. I don't actually think you sleep, from what I've gathered.
1: So I was with my uh, general consultant the other night till one in the morning, and I said, I got to get to bed, and then I woke up at 5.30. I've always been able to. If I can get four hours, one to five, I'm good. And even when I used to moonlight a lot, if I could get to bed by 2 in the morning and wake up at 5 a.m., I was good. I've been very, very fortunate to have a lot of energy. I always thought George Bernard Shaw said it well when he said he wants to, at the end of his life, have used everything up in his carcass so that truly his body is ready to be thrown on the dump heap, I think is what he said. And I'm striving to do what George Bernard Shaw talked about.
0: Okay, last pitch. Uh, You can even just do 20 seconds. How will you make Minnesota better?
1: We are going to focus on the one overarching thing, the over-intrusive nature of government. I think that both right and left sides of the aisle can agree that government shouldn't be the driving, controlling force. Parents aren't interested in sharing parenting responsibilities with the government. We are going to downsize government. We're going to right-size it. We're going to economize it. And when we do that, I think both... Republicans and Democrats can say, yeah, this is the the path we want to go to. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to convince them to do that. Liz, I was in the Senate. I had seven bills in 2019 that I was the chief author on. I got every one of those seven bills passed off the Senate floor. But what was remarkable that every one of those passed unanimously. Every bill I put on the floor in 2019, every Democrat voted for me. And it's because I went to them. I told them what I was trying to do, why it would be a good vote for them and what it would accomplish. And I'm going to continue to do that.
0: We'll have you back. I hope you'll join us again.
1: Thank you, Liz. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Dr. Scott Jensen. We appreciate it. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll be back soon to keep meaningful Minnesota conversations going. To stay up to date on Alpha News, sign up for our free daily newsletter on our website and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.